we're going to turn our hearts, our attention to the word this morning, to Daniel chapter 7. I have three readers who I want to invite up. And if we are able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, as its, then as I looked its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things." As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothes as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. As I I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, And he came to the Ancient of Days, and I was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel... My spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he took me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Those four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. 
the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, the horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beasts, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit speaking and inspiring that word to us and opening our hearts and our minds to receive it. We pray that we would not only receive it as information, but that we would be transformed by it within our hearts, uh, that we would go out of this place looking more and more like your perfect son, Jesus, by your power and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I should have warned you not to lock your knees before we started that. It was a long one. That's the trick, you know, so you don't pass out. Don't lock your knees. But thank you readers for doing that for us. So I don't dream often, or at least I should say I don't remember my dreams often. I think it's probably more accurate. Supposedly you you dream all the time, but I hardly ever wake up remembering a dream that I had. And so when I do remember the dream, I usually try to take note of that and usually ask questions about it, like is there any significance to that, especially if it's not just a dream I remember in the couple waking moments where I'm still wiping sleep out of my eyes, but if it's something that sticks with me for a while, I'll usually try to explore that and see, is, is there maybe something that uh, I need to learn from this, right? And so that's only happened a couple times for me, but there have been times where I feel like the Lord has actually spoken to me through dreams. In fact, the very first time I ever stood before a body of believers and probably many not yet believers and preached a sermon uh, it came through a dream and that I feel like the Lord gave me something to speak. And at 16 years old, the church I was at allowed me to do that. Um, and then through a vision, which I don't want to go into the details right now, but in a sort of vision is actually that I had after and when I was awake is how that moment actually occurred. And the pastor of that church allowed that to happen. And then there was something that the pastor said that totally turned me off from the whole idea of preaching and being a pastor and doing any type of work within a traditional organized church setting. And I totally ran from what I felt like God had put a calling on my heart on that time, on my life. So I ran from that. And in fact, years and years and years later, as an adult, when I was asked to consider being an elder and a pastor of what was Church of the Cross at the time, I said no a few times. And then I kept having this reoccurring dream 
and this reoccurring dream where I was back at this church I was at when I was 16, but as an adult now. And I, I just went and I showed up to visit. And while I'm there hanging out with some friends, they came up to me like, so are you ready? And I was like, ready for what? And I was, apparently I was supposed to be preaching that morning. I didn't know what the text was. I didn't know. They're like, we, we've been talking to you about this for months. Like, did you forget and it was one of those like dreams where you know you show up to school and you're in your underwear. You realize all of a sudden it was that kind of like, oh, I'm not ready. Uh, and so, kind of a silly dream. You could explain it away in lots of different ways. But when I woke up, I really felt like the Lord was impressing on me. I have called you to something, and you're running from it, and you're not preparing yourself for it. You are not ready for it. And I kept having that dream over and over and over again until I finally went back and repented and said, okay, if you're still willing to take me through this elder process. I'll do it, right? So those were a few times where I felt like the Lord is maybe speaking something to me through a dream. Not all dreams are necessarily that, right? Like my oldest son told me this morning about a dream he had last night where he was at school and something just compelled him. He didn't know what it was to start doing this. And all of a sudden he's floating up in the air and he's looking around and all his friends are like, whoa, this is cool. But then the next day he couldn't do it, right? And so he went and he found these mentors in the classroom who could start helping him unlock his full potential and teach him how to use his powers. And then he looked around and all his friends were like drawn. Like they, they weren't like real. They were like these drawn figures. And then next thing he knew, he was in this Marvel comic book video game thing. Like that's probably not the Lord saying something to him. It's probably just playing too much video games, right? My other son told me he had a dream that I was trying to eat him. I'm pretty sure that was not inspired by the spirit. So sometimes dreams are just weird. Sometimes it's just too much candy the night before, right? Sometimes too much video games. Sometimes it's just whatever. Your, your thoughts are running wild. You're stressed about something. But sometimes the one who created us, who made our minds, who created a way for our brain waves to have these distinct patterns while you're sleeping, uses all of that to speak to us. And we've seen that a lot throughout the book of Daniel, haven't we? What's, what's some other times in the book of Daniel so far, if you've been with us or if you've read Daniel before, where we've seen God speak through a dream? Any other occasions? What? In the book of Daniel. To King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Yeah. He had a couple dreams. Do you, do you guys remember any of those? What was his first dream? He had this dream of the statue, right? Yeah. In fact, I think we'll see there's maybe some similarities in some of Daniel's dream, chapter 7, and some of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That was back in chapter 2, but we'll get to that. But what we've seen, a pattern established, is that Daniel is usually the guy who is brought forward to interpret the dream, right? King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's not sure what it means. It happens again. Not sure what it means. Daniel's brought before both times to explain it to him. Then you get this other king much later, years and years later, when Daniel's a lot older, King Belshazzar, who sees this crazy vision. He's not dreaming. He sees it in real life of this hand writing on his wall. And again, who's brought before him to interpret what that means? Daniel, right? So really fascinating, now we see Daniel himself having a dream. And how did it end? It said uh, at the end of chapter seven, verse 28, here's the matter, as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. Who does that remind us of? Remember when Belshazzar saw the, the handwriting on the wall? 
And it says he was greatly alarmed. He was frightened. The color in his face went pale, right? Very similar reaction, although Daniel didn't pee himself. So there, there's a little difference there. But this same type of thing is happening for Daniel now. He's on the other end of it, on the receiving end of it, where he's getting this dream, and it's freaking him out. And it sounds like a pretty crazy dream with all these beasts coming up out of the ocean. That would freak me out too, right? But I think what we need to see here is that this was never been about Daniel and his ability to interpret dreams. In fact, when he's brought before King Nebuchadnezzar the first time, he says the same thing that all of his magicians said. There is no one on earth who could do this for you. There's no one on earth who could tell you what you dreamt and what it meant, but there is a God who can, and he told it to me. Daniel made it very clear he was simply a messenger to bring that interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar, but it was God who was revealing what was going on. And we see the same thing happen for Daniel now. Daniel is wondering what's happening, and in the dream, God sends a messenger, right? One of the heavenly beings, or an angel, if you want to call it that. This messenger comes and gives an interpretation of what Daniel's seeing even in the dream. It has always been God speaking through those dreams. It has always been God's power to interpret it and to help humans understand what he's speaking. It has never been about Daniel and his ability. Right? We got that? The book of Daniel is not about Daniel. Who's it about? It's about God. The God who speaks to Daniel. The God who is rescuing Daniel and all the other people of Israel. The God who is even bringing salvation and redemption to the people of Babylon if they would turn to him. That's who this is about. So we got, we got to be clear about that. So we've gone through the first six chapters of Daniel. That's narrative. It's story. It's story from when Daniel and his friends and some other Israelite people are taken into captivity into Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar takes them brings them into his own palace so that he could teach them to be Babylonians, so that he could win them over, right? So if, if you get the best of the best acting like Babylonians, then all the rest of them will follow suit too. This is how he very wisely conquered other nations and other peoples and brought them into his own kingdom. We see this great, huge kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had built, and we see his arrogance in that, and him finally learning the lesson that, no, no, God is the one who appointed him to be king. God is the one who allowed him to have this great kingdom. God is the one who is truly king over all things. And Nebuchadnezzar finally, at the end of chapter 4, realizes this and he writes it down for everybody else to know. And then we turn the page and we get a whole new king, right? And so we, then we learn that years have passed, time has passed, Daniel's much older, there's this new king, Belshazzar, He's like the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He's even more arrogant, probably. Plus, he's pretty foolish. He's not as wise as Nebuchadnezzar was. So we, we see all kinds of things happen with that. His kingdom doesn't last long. It's taken from him by the Medes and the Persians. And then we hear the story of Daniel himself facing the thing that we saw his friends go through before. Right? When, when they wouldn't bow down to something other than their own God, and they were thrown into the fire, Daniel instead thrown into a pit of what, of lions. That's like maybe what we think of as the climactic story of the book of Daniel, right? Daniel in the lion's den. If, you, if your kids ever go to like uh, do a little Bible lesson for kids in the book of Daniel, they're probably learning about Daniel in the lion's den, unless they're with Missio Peoria. Then they're learning about this weird, crazy dream right now, right? Because here's the thing. That might have been the, the climactic 
part of the narrative, but in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, I believe, is actually the climactic chapter of the book. It is possibly a little microcosm of what the entire story of the Bible is all about. And I don't know how many times I could tell you I've been parts of churches that as we study Daniel, we would get through chapter 6 and then we'd stop because it just got super weird. Or we would start going through chapters 7 through 12 and there'd be some really weird interpretations. Here's the thing, Daniel still, by the end of this dream and by the end of this messenger from God, explaining it to him is still super puzzled and freaked out. So what makes us think, I'm going to stand up here And I'm going to explain every little detail of this to us, right? I'm just going to give you that forewarning right now. That's not going to happen. We're not going to discover exactly what each of those ten horns were and why this one little weird one had a face. We're not getting there. But we're going to see something much greater in this, I think. In fact, when Daniel asks what is going on and this messenger starts telling him, Daniel even starts to probe This messenger starts telling him about kingdoms and about who the kingdom really belongs to. And then Daniel's like, oh, okay, cool. But what about that fourth beast? That was really weird. Can you tell me about that? And he does a little bit. He's like, okay, yeah, sure. Other human kingdoms. But then he gets back to what really the dream was about. And that's what I'm praying we'll see this morning too. But before we get there, just like that messenger was gracious to Daniel to do, to go, okay, here's a little bit of what this other stuff was. Let's cover a little bit of what that other stuff was. Sound good? How many beasts were in his dream? Four beasts. Did you catch what those four beasts represented? Hmm? Yeah, not necessarily what animals they were, but yeah, what they, rep- what they meant in the dream. What was that? Kingdoms, yeah. What kind of kingdoms? Big ones. The fourth one was different than the other three, yeah. They were, they were human kingdoms, right? The four beasts, the messenger says, the interpreter says, represents four human kings. Do you guys remember why Israel is in Babylon in the first place? What was that? I didn't coach her on this ahead of time, you guys. They wanted a human king themselves. Do you remember that? Do you remember God had rescued them out of Egypt? God rescued them out of slavery. And he tells them, this is now how you are to live. You've been slaves, your people, for 400 years. Let me show you how to live, okay? You've been used to being told how to live by this oppressive human king. Let me tell you the right way. Let me tell you the way of freedom and joy and how I will provide for you. And how you trust. And after a little while, the people start going, yeah, but look at all these other nations. They all have human kings. Can we have a human king? And God goes, you don't need a human king. You have me. I'm way more powerful. Don't you remember what I did to Pharaoh, who was like the most powerful human king over the whole world at the time? I'm your king. How great is that? And the people go, yeah, but we, we can't see you. And they can see their king. And they can see this like long flowing purple robe and crown. And oh, it looks so majestic. And if we just had a human king, we'd still follow you too. And eventually God lets them over to what they want. And they end up getting a human king. And human king after human king fails them, right? Time after time, even the best of them fails them. 
and fails to follow God, the true king. And eventually, God starts sending these prophets, people to come and speak to. Kind of like he chose Daniel to go and speak to Nebuchadnezzar and tell him what the Lord was saying to him. He would send a person to the whole nation of Israel to speak to the whole nation and say, guys, listen up. This is what God says. We started worshiping other things, other gods, other people, anything aside from the one true God, the only one who deserves our worship. And he's telling us if we don't turn back to him, this is what's going to happen. We're going to be taken over by these other nations we wanted to be so much like. And they go, I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, or maybe they would listen for a short time and then quickly turn back to what they were involved in. But it got really, really bad. If you read through the book of Jeremiah, it got really bad when Jeremiah is trying to tell them, no, you guys, this is happening. And they would not believe him. And in fact, another prophet like Jeremiah rose up to say the same thing, and the king of Judah had him killed for it. And so they're not listening. And finally, true to God's word, it happens. Babylon comes in and takes them over. They don't have a human king anymore of their own. Instead, they're made to be captive slaves to another human king who doesn't serve the one true king, God. This is why they're there in the first place. So here's Israel now. They're, they're in captivity in Babylon. They don't have their own king. They're subject to another king who worships all kinds of false gods. And we're seeing some pretty gnarly stuff happen in that. Right? It's not a good situation. No one wants to be enslaved to another kingdom. And so they're, now Daniel's getting this dream that there are these other kingdoms set up in place, but they're not working the way they're supposed to. Do you guys remember who was here with us when we went through the book of Luke together? None of you? I remember seeing you. I just see, I do those little easy questions to see if you're still with me. And you're not. All right. Remember when we were going through the book of Luke and we said, what was the title that Jesus called himself often? Son of man, right? And in that, we watched a little video from the Bible Project. Do you remember that video? I almost showed it again. Maybe I should have. But I was like, ah, oh, they saw it already. In that video, what we saw was there were all these other kingdoms rising up who were acting beastly, the video put it. Humans giving up their right to rule as humans over the beast and instead becoming like beasts until a perfect human king could come. That's what Daniel 7 is all about. So the, the messenger tells Daniel, these four beasts are not really beasts. They represent four human kingdoms. And each one of them gets worse and worse and worse. And the last one, the fourth one, is unlike any of the others. It's so bad. And there's all these other little kingdoms, little kings that sprout up from within that beast, that beastly kingdom. And so let's, let's look at that. What does that mean? Well, the first beast says was kind of like a lion, right? This was in verse 3. Four great beasts come up out of the sea. So there's the winds from all four directions of the compass come and blow at the sea. And it makes way for four beasts to rise up. In verse 4. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. That's interesting. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. 
It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. What does this make us think of in the book of Daniel? Think back. What was that? Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. Do we remember what happened to him? He went crazy. When he got to the pinnacle of his arrogance and he thought, look at this kingdom I created, I established it. And the guy was like, oh, no, no, you didn't. God makes him go crazy. He loses his mind and he starts living like an animal. He even grows talons like an animal and like long hair, like feathers, it says. He becomes like a beast, kind of like a lion with talons and eagle wings, right? Until God finally allows him to turn his heart and his mind back to him, and he gives him his mind back. He gives him his sanity back, and he gives him his kingdom back. Verse four, it says at the end of it, he was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Interesting. So a lot of scholars, a lot of theologians think, I have a a picture here of uh, the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. I think it could represent the same thing that that first part of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream represented. Do you remember the statue had these different sections to it, right? So Nebuchadnezzar chapter two, he had this dream of this giant statue. It had this huge golden head and then it had a silver breastplate torso area. Then, then the hips area was made of bronze and then iron legs and then at the very bottom of the feet, iron mixed with clay. And if you remember in the dream what happened, there was this stone that was carved not out of human hands, that was thrown at the iron and clay that was already weak and brittle, and it shattered it, caused the whole statue to fall down, the whole statue to shatter, and get blown away like it was never there. And that stone grows into a mountain, and it stays forever. If you remember, the interpretation of that dream was, Nebuchadnezzar was told only the first part, you represent that head of gold. You have a great glorious kingdom that you're over right now, but it will not last forever. There's gonna be another kingdom that comes after you. And we know through history and even in the book of Daniel here that the Medo-Persian Empire came, that was when Belshazzar was king, and King Darius overthrew him. So we know there's another kingdom that comes after, right? And then another kingdom, and another kingdom, and then finally you get to this kingdom that starts splintering off into all these different authorities, and because of that, it can't really stand and it's weak, but there's a true kingdom that's coming that will last forever. And so if you go to that next slide for me, Patrick, what many people think is this lion with eagle's wings is the same that we see in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that had a gold there. It represents Nebuchadnezzar himself, who became like a beast, but then by God's grace and by him finally humbling himself, becomes again like a man. And so he tells him, you've already seen this part, Daniel. You've lived through it. Belshazzar's king now. You know what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. And so he gets a little more detail with that part of it, right? But then there's three other kingdoms that come after that. And so this is all possible. Again, don't quote me on these things. I'm not interpreting this dream for you. But what many people believe is that bear that has three ribs in his mouth is that Medo-Persian empire that the three ribs represent three other kingdoms that they took over 
in order to gain their power to come in and finally overthrow Babylon. Uh, and then that next weird one with four heads and wings is Greece, which we know historically is the next kingdom to rule that had really like a huge empire over the whole earth. And then the last one, possibly representing Rome, the weird, crazy beast that's different than all the others because it's so much more powerful. And it starts growing all these horns representing other kingdoms arising out of it. Right? And we talked about how even now today, though we aren't ruled by a king, all these different nations have so much Latin, uh, Roman influence into all of our culture. We, we, our calendar is even based off of it. So there's all these different splinters that come out of that. Okay, so that's possible. It's just some info for you because I know there's going to be some of you who are going to be like, yeah, but what was that one beast? Okay, I don't know. I don't know. That's possible. Seems like it, Maybe. What we do know is that the messenger who's interpreting the dream for him is like, all right, Daniel, fine, I'll entertain that for a second. But do you remember this part of the dream? Do you remember what comes next in the dream? What comes next in the dream? This is for you. What comes next in the dream after that fourth beast? Who shows up now? What was that? That's all part of that fourth beast, yeah. After those beasts. The Ancient of Days appears on the scene, yeah. Yeah, so if we skip ahead a little bit. In verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. So we have two figures showing up here. So the Ancient of Days is seated on this throne up in the heavens over all these beasts even, these human kingdoms that are ruling in a beastly-like manner. And who is the Ancient of Days? You guys know this, right? Yeah. It, that's a weird terminology. I know it's a weird phrase, Ancient of Days. It just means like he has been here before all days. He's the first over all creation. He's always been here, and he still is, and he always will be. So the Ancient of Days, God himself, shows up in Daniel's dream, sitting on the throne, and there's an empty throne next to him. And you're supposed to be asking yourself this question at this point in the dream, like, who's that for? I've seen these beasts who represent kings, and they're down here on the earth, and they're causing all kinds of destruction, wreaking havoc, then I see God, the most holy, the most ancient one, sitting on this throne up in the heavens. That just means up in the sky, in the clouds. And then there's this empty throne next to him. Who is supposed to sit there, right? And in verse 13, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. What does that phrase mean, son of man? Canon is a son of who? We, we use that term son of in other things. Don't go there, okay? He's a son of who? Chris and Bethany, yeah. Right? But he's also a son of man. He's a son of humanity. That 
when you, when you see phrases in the Bible of like calling someone a son of Adam, Adam meaning man, humankind, literally just means you are a son of humanity. You have come out of the line, the lineage of humanity. It just means human, plain and simple. Son of man just means human. It, it, it's not necessarily um, cutting off daughters of humanity, okay? And son of is this phrase that was used to say a class of. It's a, it's a type of. Like you could say that little fluffy cats are a son of felines or whatever. And so are tigers. So there's a, a difference there. There's like a, a different degree in that class. In fact, let's get really weird right now and really push some buttons. Do you know that the name we, we read for God in the Old Testament, Elohim, is actually used for angels or what we call angels. That's why I've been really careful to call this one a messenger from God because angel just means messenger, but throughout Old Testament, we often see them referred to as sons of God or the Elohim. Because Elohim is actually a plural word for gods. It's a class. But there is the God of gods, kind of like the, the lion would be the feline of felines, and then you get these tiny little kittens that can't even compare, right? They're in the same class, but you get the God of gods, the God of Israel. And then you have all these other heavenly beings that are a class of that. They're, they're kind of similar. They're spiritual beings too, but they don't quite compare to him. This is a son of man. This is a part of humanity, one who has identified himself in the class of humans, just like you and I, and yet is somehow set apart and totally better than all other humans. Because no other human can approach the Ancient of Days and take a seat on that throne like this one does. There's something distinct and incredible about this human. The other humans have made themselves like beasts in the way that they rule. But this human, he doesn't rule with a sword. He comes with meekness, with humility, with peace, with subversiveness, with submission to the Lord. He comes to die on a cross, not to wage war against the Roman Empire, that beast. And this human gets elevated and seated on the throne with the Ancient of Days. It's pretty incredible. Daniel's like, tell me about that fourth beast, though. That was weird. And he's like, all right, fine, but listen. He starts telling them, but how does he end? He goes, but, verse 26. Okay, fine, fine, here's, here's some about this other one. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away from that fourth beast to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to who? Who? Verse 26, I'm sorry, verse 27 shall be given to the people of the saints of the most Hi, whoa, wait a second. I thought it was going to say the Son of Man. I thought it was going to say even Jesus. Like, let's just call it out. Let's just say what it is, Daniel. Because we know now, thousands of years later, who you're talking about. Jesus would always refer to himself as the Son of Man. And they knew 
The Israelites knew what he was saying if they knew their Daniel well, right? Which most of them did because they were waiting for this day. They were waiting for this one like a son of man who could be a perfect human, who could establish the kingdom of God. We know this is Jesus, but wait a second. It says the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, plural, the saints, plural, of the most high. Who is that? Let me tell you a little story. A long time ago, the king over all things, the king over all creation, the maker of it all, who sits on his throne in heaven, the ancient of days, established established a world with creatures that he put on it, and he created a representation of himself, a representative of the king to have dominion and authority and power over all things on that earth as his representative. This representative was called Adam, man. And he created a partner for him out of his own flesh, Eve, the first man and first woman, humanity, two distinct people but working together as one, coming from the same, the same being, representing what our God is like. Three distinct persons, one God, right? Having rule and authority over all things. And then there was a beast, a beast that they were supposed to have dominion and control over who came and approached them and gave them this lie that maybe, just maybe, you could have even more authority than this king, your God. Maybe, just maybe, he hasn't given you everything that you want, you deserve. And so they reached out and they tried to grab that for themselves. They became like the beast that they were supposed to have authority and dominion over. This is what Daniel's seeing in his dream. Humans giving up their humanness, giving up their royal right to represent the king over all creation and becoming like beasts. Now, none of us wear a crown. None of us have a little kingdom that we rule over, do we? But here's the thing. If we're honest with ourselves, we are all like those beasts in that dream. We are all reaching out for something that does not belong to us. We are all at times driven by this lustful desire and want in our flesh. And it affects the way that we treat other people. When we see injustices in the world, it's because humans have given up their royal rights to represent the king and have become like beasts, devouring flesh, only seeking to gratify the self. When you treat your spouse or your kid harshly and you're acting like a beast, it's because of the very same thing, that very same nature at work within you. When you tell a lie because you are so driven by fear of what might happen or how you might be perceived if the truth was known, when you take a little extra of something that doesn't belong to you, when you look down on somebody else because they are different from you, all of these things are so anti from what God has established for us to be. I want you to catch that word, what I just said. They are anti 
opposite of, in opposition to what God has established us to be. Really quick note, I was so not wanting to go here, but so many times when you see Daniel 7, people will start preaching on what is called the Antichrist, that fourth beast, that horn that's there that's super, super weird. There's lots of horns, and let me just tell you, they are all an Antichrist. They are all in opposition to what God has created them to be. We have a lot of Antichrists running around here. And here's the problem, is so many times you and I resemble that too. Don't we? That we are anti what God wants for this world and we are so pro what I want. We have given up our royal right to represent the king, to become like beasts. And the son of man comes. And the son of man, Jesus, lays down his life instead of reaching out and taking what's his on his own. And he he forgives people who have come against him to murder him, to hurt him, to tear down his name, to shame him in a culture of honor and shame. And instead, he, he forgives them instead of looking down on them. He does everything the way God had intended it to be done. And because of that, he rises victoriously out of that grave in the power of the Spirit of God and he is able to approach the Ancient of Days and take his rightful seat on the throne next to him, the king over all things. And if that was not good enough, we get this crazy line in verse 26 that the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms and the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. God is reestablishing what he created in the beginning to extend his dominion, to give his authority, to give his rightful reign to his representatives, the people he created, to be just that. Because that's what he made us for. It's his purpose for us. And sin doesn't get the last word. Sin doesn't win. Our selfishness and our beastly-like nature does not win. It does not triumph over God's nature and his control over all creation. And so he is at work to restore in you and I what was always meant to be there. That royal right to represent the king. He not only goes and takes the throne for himself, but he allows us to be seated with him, to have dominion over all things, just like it was in the beginning in the garden. And then he switches back to that singular, his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. As his representatives, let us not forget who really is in charge, right? Just like God told Nebuchadnezzar, yes, you are king over the greatest kingdom over the earth right now, but I put you there. Give glory and honor to me. How do we do this in 2019, almost 2020, in Phoenix, what does that look like as God's royal representatives? Let me tell you, in Jeremiah, one of those prophets that God sent to tell Israel, you're about to be taken into captivity, made slaves in Babylon. Here's how I want you to live. Jeremiah tells him, the Lord says, this is how you live in Babylon. In chapter 29, we have verses four through seven. 
Jeremiah says, the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is how you live as his representatives. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. We should hear echoes of that creation mandate to go forth and multiply, right? Multiply there. Do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city, this place that has come and and captured you, who you think are your enemies. Seek their welfare where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Missio, this is how we live even now before the king returns and fully claims his throne and we get to rule with him as the people, the saints of the most high. This is how we live as his royal representatives today. We engage in our culture in meaningful and yet natural ways. He doesn't say, go and stand on on the street corners and yell out and preach. Not that that's bad, but he says, I want you to build houses. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to enjoy those gardens that you plant, but I also want you to allow others to enjoy them. Invite people into those houses. Have them around your table. Marry, have families, build relationships with people. Show the world what true humanity looks like. This is our call today, Missio. Whatever you do for work, if you're in school, however you interact with your neighbors, are you doing those things in a way that you are pointing to the glory of the king over all things as his representative. Pray with me that we would do that.